The following messages will only be in Finnish. Stay tuned for the episode. Korona on kestänyt jo reilun vuoden ja osa ihmisistä on joutunut erittäin tiukkaan tilanteeseen sekä taloudellisesti että henkisesti. Mielenterveys on ollut ja on edelleenkin koetuksella näiden vaikeiden asioiden edessä ja musiikki ja kulttuuri auttaa jaksamaan vaikeiden aikojen yli. Haluamme tarjota mahdollisuuden unohtaa harmaa arki hetkeksi ja viettää lauantai-iltaa ilmaisen livestreamin parissa. Striimi tulee näkymään Radiomajaman Facebook- ja YouTube-kanavan kautta ja on nähtävillä ilmaiseksi. Halutessasi voit tukea mielenterveystyötä lahjoittamalla pottiin rahaa Suomen mielenterveysseuran kautta. Tiedot löytyvät Facebook-tapahtuman sivuilta. Elävä musa, parempi mieli, livestriimi, lauantaina 24.4. kello 18 alkaen. Esiintymässä ovat ainakin seuraavat henkilöt. Jukka Takalo, Kaarle Viikote, Maija Paakkari, Janne Aslak ja Rock DJ Sandy. Illan isäntänä toimii Mikko Pernu. Tervetuloa mukaan. Kauppuri 5 on toteuttanut iskulausettaan Krapulan hoito ja hankintaa ja vuodesta 2010. Kauppuri on käynyt läpi monta muodonmuutosta ja kehittänyt itseään vuodesta toiseen. Vuosi koronaa on nyt takana ja kauppuri on edelleen pystyssä, mutta veitsin terällä ollaan. Pelastetaan kauppuri. Yhdessä on Facebook-tapahtuma, jonka tiimolta ravintola pyritään pelastamaan. Mukana on suuri joukko yhteistyökumppaneita ja muita yrityksiä. Sun nimi, Vanerilaatta, oli hetkellisen päähänpiston kautta välittömästi toteutettu idea. Yksityishenkilö tai yritys voi ostaa itselleen paikan kauppurin katosta 20 euron kappale hintaan. Kauppuri 5 täyttää 16.4. ja 11 vuotta ja on siis lunastanut paikkansa tärkeänä osana Oulun ravintolaskeneä. Auta pelastamaan kauppuri. Lisätietoa Facebook-tapahtumasta. Hello there, dear listener, wherever you might be, and welcome to another interview with the Tales Behind the Talent. And this time I have as my guest uh, Johan, so you can present yourself in a brief manner. In a, in a brief manner. Uh, hello there, my name is Johan Andreasen, and I play bass in Amaranth, Swedish guy living in Oulu. Thanks. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll start with a cool anecdote because I just want to thank you for doing this again because we di- actually did this interview a couple of days ago, but the yep. <laughs> file got corrupted or something and uh, even the backup failed. So this time yeah. everything seems to be in order, so yeah. we can finally continue <laughs> with the interview. <laughs> the, the sort of digital gods did not speak into our favors. Yes. Uh, so we made some sacrifice, blood rituals on the on the yard and. I think we're good to go. Yeah. Hopefully. So, first question, uh, yeah. how did you get introduced to music? Uh, music has always been a, a big part of my family. Uh, my mom always played piano and my father always listened to music. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom was sort of the best piano player I ever heard. She was awesome. Later on, uh, well, sorry mom, maybe you're not that awesome when everything comes around, but you were you were my piano hero when when I was a kid and my father listened to records and uh, very much actually a Jesus Christ superstar. Okay. Yeah. So how about um, else your, is your family uh, mu- musical in, in other sense? 
Well, yeah, my uh, my grandmother, uh, she was actually a big part of uh, founding this uh, Swedish Gothenburg Symphonical Orchestra, uh, who's actually the, they are actually the national orchestra for Sweden. Uh, and my grandmother actually founded the, what we sort of in metal world would call the fan club, the oh. Friends of the Symphonicals. Uh, so she was one of the founding members of that uh, and also did a lot of pro bono work for the orchestra, traveling around the world with them and helping out with whatever. And she was also a piano player like my mom and uh, not so she could play in the orchestra. But she has a lot of know-how when it comes to music, mm. especially classic. And then my grandfather actually my mom's dad uh, he was actually a upright bass player uh, played jazz yeah back in the days and uh, he was a name for that and there are a lot of things like that in in my family so to speak okay so you have a ba- background in both like uh, getting introduced to music by live music and record records then yeah basically yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, last time we talked you you mentioned uh Uh, Metallica cassette tape. So yeah, that was how you got introduced to metal music. Yeah, uh, as far as I can remember, I heard my brother, who is a bit older than me, uh, he was listening to something, and I heard it through his door, and it was actually he was listening to Master of Puppets with Metallica yeah. on cassette tape, which most kids don't know what it is today. But uh, ask your parents or go to the museum. But that was basically how my my world started to open mm. up because it sounded so different. Yeah, and also I uh, happened to steal my brother's uh, Bon Jovi tape with uh, I think it was New Jersey mm. album on tape, and I just got completely hooked up on I think it was Bad Medicine. Listened on my little red cassette mm. deck player and just put it on repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat until the batteries ran out and I stole new batteries from the remote controls or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So didn't you say last time that the, you wore the uh, the tape out? Yeah, actually it was like I wore it out so much so it was barely that you could play it. It was like yeah. stretched out and just in a really shitty state. I would and imagine that, that that takes a lot of time still. It takes a lot of effort. I think mm. I would I was very persistence mm. on <laughs> on destroying that tape yeah and it's interesting that cassette tapes are coming back in a way that uh, at least some local trash metal bands are have released they they don't have a cd yeah. an lp anything like that they just have a cassette tape yeah and then they have a code for the digital tracks where you can download them but yeah you get the memory of the or the It, it works as a memorabilia, more like yeah. a, a, an actual thing, I think. But of course, some people still have cassette tapes. Yeah, uh, I mean, it it would be awesome to have because it would be so fun to sort of get a hold of all these old mm. demo tapes that were circling around when when I was a kid. Uh, both the ones I've made myself with my bands and uh, other friends, what they did with their bands, because everyone just tried to put it up yeah. out on a cassette. And I remember... It, Where I live, we always used these completely black cassettes, 
and yeah. it was just it looked so cool and then you made the the cover and everything yeah and uh, uh my dad just before christmas he he bought uh, a, like a system that has the cassette tape it has the vinyl yeah. uh player bluetooth and a cd player it was like that you can you buy it like in a local like uh local version of walmart like talk money or something oh, okay well that's and, uh, it that's was awesome. like a hundred euros but it works no as long as it works and doesn't sound too crappy then it's a bargain yeah but uh yeah i, w- I would really love to have a cassette player and also a, a vinyl player uh not because of a, i'm sort of a music connoisseur in that way like these guys that collects vinyls and then uh, only listen to vinyl because they think that that is the only way to sort of listen to it yeah and of course, in some ways, they might be right. And but I, I'm so freaking boring. So I only have these kind of Bluetooth speakers at home. That yeah. sounds really good. But I just hook up my Spotify on that and just go. So yeah, it's uh, like I said. I think I said last time that you should. It's a, it's an expensive hobby to have yeah. all the vinyls and everything. But if you get something from it. Uh, I think it's still like beneficial for you to do it, yeah. but if it's more like uh, you you listen to music, but the vinyls are not the thing. Maybe it's not the most r- like uh, rationable d- thing to do. No, but uh, I think Bluetooth is fine. But if you want to go to, if you want to be a hobbyist of yeah. vinyls, it's it's totally okay. And uh, yeah, of course. I mean, if it if it floats your boat, then yeah. go for it. I mean. Everyone have different hobbies, and if you want to collect vinyls, for God's sake, yes, do it. I mean, it's, it's. I don't see anything wrong with that, yeah. and there is nothing wrong with that. And um, because they seem to be in such a great role right now, they are really like collectors' items, and uh, yeah. you can. Uh, the value doesn't really go down necessarily if it's no. not like very mass produced. Yeah, and there's limited editions and everything. Yeah, yeah, and but there could be a lot of money in it. I yeah. Mean, you hear about vinyls that someone sold in an auction for thousands of euros and it mm. originally cost like 50 cents or something yeah and then it just skyrocketed so it, it it is a sort of collector's thing and also audiophile thing yeah i guess and i guess some music should be listened best on vinyl mm. because it's recorded uh, with sort of the vinyl sound capability yeah. in mind so maybe some things are actually better on vinyl. Yeah. I don't know. Let's figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about, did you decide to start playing music or was it someone else in your in your family that decided, okay, Johan is going to start playing music? I think it come sort of naturally. My, my, my sister, who's also older, she had some sort of music lessons, mm. playing some piano and then she played the, the flute uh and took on that and when i was around in third grade or something i, I guess around nine ten years old you always get this sort of invitation to come to the city music school and see mm. to try out all the different instruments and see if there was something that would be sort of catching your interest yeah. and my mom she she thought that yeah let's let's go and see she both her and my dad really wanted me to sort of start playing something and I think I've really wanted that too. So we went, uh, and of course I had in mind that I want to be loud and nasty, so I wanted to play the drums. Yeah, That was already 
a big no on the the planning mm. stage. Uh, and now having kids, I can totally understand why my parents said no mm. <laughs> for me playing the drums. Uh, so then I tried to figure out what else is really loud. Um, mm. And hmm, bagpipes, it. that's yeah. loud and it sounds really fucking cool. And this is actually true. I've, I actually wanted to start to play the bagpipes. Uh, it sounds cool and it's loud and it's different. Mm. But the sort of the the people that worked with the information for this musical school, they had no idea mm. where they could find someone who could teach me bagpipes, uh, let alone wherever I could find a bagpipe to a reasonable price because yeah. apparently they are quite expensive. So uh, I had to downscale and find something that was loud. Mm. So I actually started playing the trombone. <laughs> trombone, yeah. Yeah. But I had actually... If it wouldn't have been trombone, I think I would have chosen the cello. Yeah. Because that was sort of, when I saw it and I heard it and later on heard it on recordings and all that, and it's just one of the most beautiful sounding instruments mm. there is. It yeah. has this really sort of wide emotion, yeah, mo emotional sound to it. I agree, and every time there's like cello on a mo movie soundtrack or something, a yeah. game soundtrack, you really like, it hits the feels, yeah. so to speak. And um, how about um, um, bass then? Ooh, uh, that was a completely different story. I actually didn't chose it myself. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I think I was around 12 or something, and it was in music class, ordinary music class in school. And uh, we had this assignment that we should form a little band and just try to perform one song, mm. uh, whatever. Uh, and I sort of got the, I lost the lottery more or less. So I got to play the bass in that. And I didn't thought it was so cool, but I did it. And then sort of went into the, in the past. And then like a year later, me and a, a friend, we really got into music. It was basically around when Metallica's Black Album came out and we were just diehard, diehard real Metallica fans. Mm. Just everything should say Metallica that you wore and you wrote Metallica on your desk and, yeah. and everywhere. Uh, and we had, once again, music class. Uh, and there was this really cool substitute teacher that first lesson we came into the, the the hall or the lesson room or whatever, and he stood there. He had some funky hair and he had a guitar that was blasted with Donald Duck stripes, yeah. comic stripes, and it looked so cool. And this jolly, not really, really lovely guy, uh, who I have a lot to thank for. Uh, he just started to blast away on his electric guitar and the little amplifier and played. I think it was like anti salmon or something. Yeah. And it sounded really like the the album. And it just, wow, this sounds so cool. And me and my friend, uh, we sort of started to talk with Hasse, was his name. And he sort of sparked the interest and introduced us into this um, musical uh, community mm. where they had a, a, a place where a lot of cool rehearsal rehearsal rooms for the the cool guys older guys that had their own gear and then there was this room number three the 
room for new beginners. Yeah. And he set us up that we could come there and start playing and practice. So we were a couple of friends. And the reason why I got to play the bass was actually, first off, my brother had a bass mm. uh, that I, of course, was not allowed to touch, not even look at. Uh, if I was in the same room at the bass, he would torture me. <laughs> Maybe not that bad, but uh, it was his pride and joy. But he went off to military service and stuff. Mm. So, of course, I secretly started to borrow him that. Um, and... So that was one of the sort of selling points for the other guys that I should play the bass. But I, I wanted to play the drums or sing or whatever. That was yeah. cool because bass wasn't as cool back then. So we simply had the the shortest straw. Pulled yeah. the, the shortest straw. And I pulled the shortest straw and I lost. So I yeah, lost. Of course. I was forced to play this four string, really boring, not as cool instrument. And and the other guys uh, were lucky enough to be the cool guys of the band. Yeah, God, I was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that that's actually how it started, and then I sort of started to enjoy it mm. a lot. And this guy Hasse, he really sort of fed my interest in this. Yeah, uh, and helped me out in a lot of ways. And long story short, uh, today I'm the only one who actually still plays. I think, uh, of the- especially on a on a on this level out of the group yeah yeah so when when uh Hasse was the teacher right yeah yeah when he played the in the sandman sandman for the first time was it like something sparked inside of you like okay if he can do it then i can also do it because did you had you heard like metal music played live before that no i can't remember that i had Yeah. Uh, I think that was sort of the first time that something that I heard on an album that sounded so insanely cool and hard mm. as Metallica Black Album sounded and still sound today. It's a phenomenal record. Uh, and then you hear this guy with a Donald Duck guitar actually playing it. And in my ears, it sounded just the same. And it was like, as you said, well, if he can, why, why can't I? Mm. And he sort of, I think he saw the the spark in me during the time yeah uh, and the next coming couple of months so i think he sort of pushed me yeah that uh, kind of in, in a right kind of way mm, that kind of proves it that uh you really as a music teacher you really should have a large like variety of music that you introduce to your yeah. students because you don't know it might be the smallest thing for you but it might just spark something yeah if it's not metal if it's like a, a cello or something that They would be, even though it's expensive, but uh, even if there's a day that someone could get introduced to classical instruments, for example, for yeah. a day, it would spark something. Yeah. Uh, not not just pop music, which is uh, very popular nowadays. Yeah. I, I can actually honestly regret that I didn't continue playing trombone or picked up the, the cello. Not that I would like to change that to from the bass that mm. I'm playing now but it, it, I think it would be it would certainly in a lot of ways be so beneficial for me yeah at the moment because uh, or during my career overall because you sort of the more instruments you learn the more sort of input you get in how music is made yeah so I, I really regret that and usually there's I think there's more musical theory uh, yeah. with Th- those kinds of in- instruments uh, 
instead of like you can start playing bass bass at least nowadays by just like reading tabs. Yeah. But, tabs and watching YouTube. Yeah. And I'm sure you can do that basically with any instrument at some point. But it's like bass and guitar, I think it's much more accessible in that sense mm. that you can always find good sort of tutorials on YouTube or internet or wherever that and also bass and the guitar is often the big part of the music most people listen to so it's much more accessible yeah. but yeah learn as much as possible about as much as possible mm. I guess and I regret I didn't do it <laughs> yeah so what can what kind of music did you play with that first band so to speak it was just Metallica just mm. pure Metallica we were so hooked on that it was insane we we were determined to be the new Metallica and I think like I'm not saying I'm right but almost was like we had a dress code that you can't come and rehearse if you don't have a Metallica t-shirt okay. <laughs> and we, we only played Anta Salmond and For Whom the Bell Tolls over and over again Mm. and it must have sounded awful and the people that heard us rehearse I mean that I'm, I am so sorry if we killed your musical interest yeah. <laughs> because it, I guess it sounded awful but we had a lot of fun at yeah. least wasn't those two songs the first song that you mentioned that you played live yeah yeah it was like in this uh, uh, community park Uh, in my old hometown uh, and this music community there's always some every summer they set up this free show where they got bands from the music community to come and play mm-hmm. uh, to sort of get the live experience and we were that was our first show we had with that band and we played Anton Salmond and For Whom the Bell Tolls and I remember I was so cocky before, like, oh, it's gonna be so fucking awesome and headbang, yeah. yeah. And then before going up on stage, or literally the mm. whole day before, I was literally terrified. Like, what have I gotten myself into? I was so nervous. It, when I walked up on stage, it was like tunnel vision and shaking and cold sweat. It was, mm. I was so nervous. It was horrible, but I did it. Yeah, for me, the the only song that I have played with an instrument uh, as far as I can uh, remember was Paranoid in in yeah. this uh, high school seniors uh, <laughs> show. With, it had different lyrics but it was because it was so used that nobody none of the actual guitarists wanted to play it and I had just played some guitar and I, would, I can play it without <laughs> the solo and uh, it went okay but I also I remember that the first time was really like I I feared for my life or something. Yeah. It's when you look back now at moments like that it really feels like a bit embarrassing mm. that oh my god why was I so nervous. But back then it, it was literally a matter of life and death yeah. up to some point. So uh, uh were you like a 14 13 then? Or? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thirteen-ish, I guess. But it was not my first live experience. However, my very first live experience I ever had uh, playing an instrument was actually. I was ten or eleven. I was playing the trombone. Yeah. Uh, and 
the music school every year they sort of arrange this spring concert with mm. all their uh, students performing something and the orchestra they had and all that and i was asked that why don't you come and play uh, love me tender this old elvis presley tune mm. and i rehearsed with my mother because she played the piano so she sort of uh, played with me on that one and then i was supposed to go up on stage with with this other piano teacher because my mom had to go to work of course but i i just simply refused i totally refused i got so nervous the day before that i told my mom i'm not going up with anyone else i i can't do it i was mm-hmm. once again literally terrified so my mom had to call her work and say uh, sorry i'm gonna come in a bit late tomorrow because i have a show yeah <laughs> so she basically took time off to do a show with me and mm-hmm. playing love me tender but it went good okay yeah but uh uh <laughs> like it's really common to have stage fright i think and uh, uh to have to have to play an instrument or something for the first time i just imagine that it it would have felt uh, really really over exciting for a 10 11 year old it is i mean it, i mean take all your biggest fears and cram it up into like three or four minutes mm. like all the fears and amplify them with 10 and just push them into these four minutes and you just you literally freeze mm. tunnel vision you can't breathe you can't think of anything and you start to doubt everything you know about everything basically yeah so, but it just somehow you just do it anyway mm. do you still get uh, i don't not necessarily stage fright but do you still get a little bit nervous before shows oh yeah 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 mm. uh, i think in my case and in in, in mo- many cases I, i don't i think it's actually helps you to sort of keep the nerve mm. uh, and also it helps you to sort of express the feeling of excitement to be on stage mm. uh, i know that many people especially metal people because They are supposed to be so freaking cool all the time, mm. uh, and well, of course we are. Uh, no, but uh, many metal people, musicians, maybe they don't. Maybe they wouldn't admit being nervous or being excited about it. But I think most people are excited before mm. you go up on stage because it's so fucking fun. But yeah, I get excited, a bit nervous, uh, and. Uh, I more or less all the time get these sort of butterflies before stage yeah. and i think it's just part of my part of my persona part of my sort of preparation to go up on stage but nowadays as soon as you hit the stage uh, okay if something doesn't go terribly wrong then it's just go up on stage and when once you start playing mm. it's just this ongoing freight train yeah that you you just do it and then of course you have times when You have technical issues or whatever, and mm-hmm. that sort of stresses you, and you yeah, like can easily get your m- bass trap, like in Pro Rockfest a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, my my, mm. my bass trap came loose, and I dropped my bass, and uh, that has happened a couple of times. But now I have good strap locks, so it's mm. literally really hard to sort of take the strap locks off, even so. But yeah, 
stuff like that and all mm. kinds of technical issues that can happen i mean there's a lot of cables to to know where they are going and yeah. what they're doing thank god it's not my work but uh i'm not envious to stage personnel when things go wrong so to yeah. speak because it's a living hell but about the excitement before the show i think that i would imagine that that's part of the features that make the when the show goes well it makes it more rewarding in a way because you've had the kind of feeling that okay uh, you have butterflies in your stomach but yeah. when everything goes well it kind of emphasizes the the joy you get out of it yeah it does it really emphasizes an amplitude the feeling that when you have a really good show uh, in front of a big crowd and everything just go perfect then mm. the the reward you get afterwards with your self confidence and such it's just it's insane yeah and uh, you really hopped up on adrenaline and dopamine and, and adrenaline and everything is just like <laughs> bossing in your head so it, it is a fantastic feeling mm. so i i just written pearl jam here and uh we yeah. talked about that too the, yeah during the last time So Pearl Jam was also a big factor in your... Was it, was it a little bit later than Metallica? That was basically in the same sort of period. Uh, Metallica was, I guess, the band sort of made me start to listen to music. Mm-hmm. And then I remember it was me and a couple of friends. We were at my friend's place. And now, remember, this is like early 90s, so it's like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, cable TV was not really that common. Yeah. Most of us just had three channels. But I had a friend, he had cable TV and he had MTV. And MTV, kids, actually stands for music television, Mm. not moron television as it seems (laughs) to be today. Uh, But we actually, there was this show called Headbangers Ball uh, with metal goddess Vanessa Warwick. And... If you don't know who Vanessa Warwick is, then you are not into metal. <laughs> But she was this host for Headbangers Ball, and I think everyone who was into metal and watched Headbangers Ball were secretly having a crush on her. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But uh, she actually played uh, Pearl Jam with their hit single Alive. Mm. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, this was even before the video for Alive came out. That also was sort of a rush work because they had to put out a video because it was this insane hit. But it was actually, she actually played a song with only still pictures rolling to the song. Yeah. So there wasn't even a video, but she just showed still pictures of them. That was how 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 much and how quick that song hit so to mm. speak and just climb all the charts and it really just that really in every sense of the word triggered my emotions for music mm. because it showed that you could play music that was groovy and sort of more open that maybe metal was in sound wise and it was this new sort of music that I have never heard before yeah uh, because it ranged from earlier generations such as Led Zeppelin which mm. I later start to listen to more uh, and more like that sort of music and actually when I've heard Pearl Jam I got more or less obsessed with it I actually have the the Pearl Jam logo tattooed on my arm yeah uh, 
because they meant so much to me and brilliant 10 that whole album is to me just one of the best albums i ever heard and i think that was actually what made me subconsciously decide that hey i'm gonna fucking do that yeah and i'm gonna do that so much so i don't have to anything else yeah i don't have to and i don't want to do anything else and thanks to that album i'm actually i think that is a lot of why i am where i am today Mm. one of the main reasons yeah didn't you start a, a band because of that yeah it was actually uh, at that time or later on uh me and a other couple of friends we started up this band because it was the the sort of oh the hated word grunge but that era the seattle punk rock scene era that came and we just didn't dare to try and even copy pearly i'm playing but we managed to sort of copy nirvana uh but i was never into nirvana like that i was more pearly i'm a sound garden mm. as in chains but we started with that and then next door was this band rehearsed and they played a sort of uh punk mm. close to bad religion ish and their name was antabus which was just, all right cool <laughs> <laughs> uh And we had this rivalry between each other. We always tried to mess with each other and yeah. being grumpy and try to be cool towards each other and all that. But we and me and the singer in in the band I played with, we ended up in a house party with the guitarist and a drummer from that band. And for some reason, we sort of put all the bullshit aside because we were really not friends at, back then. Mm. Uh, but we had this common nominee, and that was Pearl Jam. Mm. And they loved Pearl Jam, we loved Pearl Jam, and they felt like they couldn't do Pearl Jam in their band, and we couldn't do it in our band, so we decided, hey, let's let's get together and just play some cover songs. Yeah. Just do cover shows with Pearl Jam. So, actually, one of those very rare times we actually form a band while drunk on a party, and you actually continue with it. Mm. It doesn't end when you wake up the day after. It actually, We actually pull it through. And... We formed this band that started off playing all kinds of Pearl Jam covers and uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, all that kind of music. Until one of the guitarists came and said, hey, I have a riff here. Shall mm. we try it? So we tried that out and just felt like, Jesus Christ, we can actually, we can actually do something like mm. this. Hmm, all right. And the name of that band was actually Buddha Pop Shot. Mm. More or less like holy sort of ejaculation. Yeah. <laughs> We later changed the name to Bruce mm. after all the biggest heroes. Bruce Lee, Bruce yeah. Boxleitner, Bruce Wayne. Bruce, uh, yeah. And also Bruce is the slang term for beer in Australia. So yeah. we thought that would be fitting. <laughs> yeah. If you go there, if would if you would go there someday. So. Yeah. Have some brews and listen to some brews. Yeah. This is the end of part one with Johan Andersen of Amaranth. And uh, to hear more about his next chapter in life, meaning moving to Gothenburg and ultimately joining the band Amaranth, listen to part two.